Viewer discretion is advised. Your fave will be criticized. That's Jan. That's her. And welcome to CCTV, the nonstop pop show. And today we're having a deep discussion about mental health in the music industry. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes. If you're wondering who we are, Shannon and I have a huge range of experience in the music industry from performing on stage to working at record labels. So we have a lot of insight into the crazy music industry. And you can now come join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash CCTV Pops. And a big shout out to our crew members, Lisette, Lily, and Emily. Thank you for the support. Yeah, that was cute. <laughs> Before we get started, I would like to issue a trigger warning. Um, the subjects featured on this episode may be triggering for some viewers and listeners. Topics such as eating disorders, substance abuse, depression, sexual trauma, abuse, and suicide will be discussed. Viewer discretion is advised. All right, so today we are joined by a very special guest, mental health professional, Juliet Blank. Hello, Juliet. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to CCTV. We are so excited to have you here with us. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you for having me. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a big fan of your podcast. So thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. And Juliet is a really great friend of mine. We actually started in the music industry together. It was our very first job at one of the biggest talent agencies in the world where we started at the bottom and had to do some questionable things for some of today's top stars. <laughs> so we, we've gone through a lot together and we've stayed friends and watched each other grow into awesome people. So <laughs> very happy to have you here today. So you did start off working in the music industry, but you have left it as well. So what are you up to now? Yeah, so I am a licensed mental health therapist now. So I started in the industry, in the entertainment industry, and then realized it kind of wasn't aligned with my values and where I wanted to go. So I went back to school, became a licensed therapist, and now, yeah, now I'm licensed in California and Washington and seeing clients in those states. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so how was your experience at the talent agency before you made your big switch? And was it different from what you expected? Yeah, yeah. So the talent agency, I was I was really excited to um, get accepted. I, I first got in on an internship right when I graduated from college. And then I got hired uh, full time and I kind of made my way up. I was getting promoted within the agency, um, all the regular steps that there, there's like a whole order of things mm -hmm. when you're in an agency. Like you start here. Then you go here, then here, here, here. It's like very rigid in, in those steps. Mm -hmm. um, but I was so excited to be a part of it because I love the entertainment world. I was a performer myself growing up, a singer, a dancer. Um, and performing was actually, I felt it was too hard on me personally. I went through my own mental health struggles going mm -hmm. through as a performer. Um, so I thought, okay, what can I do if I'm not going to be a performer? I still love the industry. So maybe I'll be on the business side of it. And yeah, and then I got into the top agency at that at that time. And I think it still is. But yeah. at that time, it was the number one agency. Um, so up there. And I was so excited. I was meeting celebrities. I was, you right. know, it was, I was starstruck by it when I first started. Right. Um, and I saw this, you know, fabulous world ahead of me. I was like, I'm going to be this high powered agent and yeah. just like an entourage. And <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, I, I had all these dreams and ambitions. Um, but, you know, as I was there, I was disappointed by a lot, too. There was um, there was, you know, just the way I think some people were treated. It was mm -hmm. very much an industry where they cared about just making money and getting the deals done um, more than just the human behind who was working on those deals. Right. Um, there were really hardworking assistants, people in the mailroom, people in reception in those like lower levels who were doing a lot of the work that the agents would then just 
kind of, you know, agents would do do work and work with them too. But I think a lot of the time, like when I was in an assistant role, I was doing a lot of the work that my agents would then take and they would present it in the meetings. And, um, but then we weren't treated as well as mm-hmm. assistants. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to be said there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. we started kind of at the bottom together. I was in mailroom, you're in reception. And yes. for me, so I kind of started revolution because I did not go through the steps of promotion. Mm-hmm. I was one of the first people to not wait. I, I was fed up by it. And I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and I quit less than a year in. Um, so. <laughs> and um, yeah, for me, it, it felt like first, it felt like it was a weeding out kind of situation. Mm. They kind of put you through the worst stuff, the stupidest tasks to see if you would do it right? and see how you would handle it and see if you were willing to do it, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I Easy. wasn't, I wasn't going to take that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. um, I was like, what was the point of going to college if I'm changing printer cartridges and cleaning up meeting rooms and picking up cupcakes for celebrities right. and they need a cupcake from across the city? Like, right. <laughs> it's no, absolutely I... ridiculous. So was there kind of a big main turning point for you where you were kind of like, I can't do this anymore, a last straw? Or was it more just a gradual realization for you? I think it was gradual realization because mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, going into it, it, it's exactly what you were talking about, where it was kind of like a hazing process. Like, you have to prove yourself that you can get through these ridiculous things. You can get through the abuse of, like, how people talk to you, how people treat you people step over your toes to get the promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of like you have to have a strategy to make it to the top. And I, it was kind of like that in the performance world too, where you mm-hmm. don't learn. Like I felt like I never really learned what my values and my boundaries were in that. I was just like, well, I just want to make it. I just want to have success. I just want to be, you know, I was kind of like a people pleaser in a sense where I just wanted to be like approved of yeah. and, and I wanted to prove myself. So I just went through it and I was like, okay, well, this is the process. Well, I'm going to prove myself and I'm going to rise above it. But then I saw people really getting hurt as well, where, Mm -hmm. you know, I think one thing that I'll say, and like, I I don't have to go so much into it, but I feel like there was racism going on. I Mm -hmm. feel like there was, um, because I saw a lot of like, I'm, I'm a white female who got promoted easily. And a lot of my friends were people of color that were not getting promoted very easily and they were just kind of kept at the bottom of the totem pole Mm -hmm. and then when it was those kinds of things and treated a little differently and then when those things were brought to HR HR was pretty dismissive of it um so there were like really big things like that it was also before the me too movement and Mm -hmm. I definitely knew some stories heard some things um also some of the people who have already been outed in Hollywood we, we had connections with um you know, that I would just hear and see how those big high powered people were treating their assistants and treating people in the industry where there's definitely like sexual harassment, sexual assault going on. Um, then when I, when I was an assistant, I felt, um, you know, my whole team, there were a couple people who were nice and welcoming to bringing me on, but most of the people on my team were not welcoming to me. They didn't even like my first few weeks there, they didn't didn't even try to get to know me. They didn't even want to know my name. Um, I also had one boss who was very paranoid of me. Like she thought that I was, when I would go to lunch with a friend in the industry, um, I heard heard things that she would say to other people where she was like, Juliet is talking with those people again. I I bet you she's talking about this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And I felt that she was always like watching me like a hawk in a certain way. Um, so I, I just, it didn't feel like an emotionally safe and comfortable environment for me. I also witnessed, like I witnessed agents throwing things at their assistants, Mm -hmm. like hitting them in the head with things. I witnessed them just calling them horrible, demeaning names. Um, one person that I sat next to, um, for the whole, whole year that we were sitting next to each other. They did not eat. Like, I did not see them eat. I don't think that they were sleeping because they were the first ones there. They were the last ones to leave. And I mm-hmm. knew that they were doing a bunch of things after hours, too. Um, and I saw them, like, lose a tremendous amount of weight where I just was like, this isn't a good thing. This is this is really concerning. Um, so it was stuff like that where I was just like, this is, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I guess the last thing I'll say about that is I did go to, I did go to HR at one point mm-hmm. um, when I was at the assistant level. And I said, hey, like these people on my team have not been nice to me. They've been really rude. They've been like these were higher level agents that um, were giving me work to do. And I thought I'd open up to HR. And I said, you know, like I'm doing this work for them and I'm trying my best. And but I just they're not treating me well. And and they say this to me and that to me. And I was like telling them what was going on. And the HR person at that time was like, well, I just, I heard they're difficult. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn to work that out. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, um, I worked for a smaller company uh, doing like um, syncing. I'll say that more, more sync licensing things. And we didn't have HR. If something was wrong. It was like, we just talk about it and we'd leave it alone because there was no one to really have our back. And we thought, oh, this is awesome because it's small. It might be a little bit, you know, the barrier of entry might be a lot less difficult you know mm. uh but it was a, it was opposite almost they had artists on their roster who was writing for them who gotten huge placements mind you and they would constantly verbally abuse these women um but then give the guys a hey yeah i got this opportunity for you get them get them signed to this get them writing for this person this artist but then talk crap about the women like they'll record a whole song whole demo and be like yeah we're not releasing that she's this body she's that oh yeah she's not going to make it you know and i watched this one singer i'm very close to just she wrote years after year after year just good songs and she was constantly told no and i was even in one of her like videos like way back in the day and it was never released all this money was spent on it all to be said oh actually this is not it so it was Mm -hmm. very weird and uh for me i got brought in for like a, a, a a streaming sites uh syncing thing and the director was there and I was told to come in. And I thought, oh, this is my chance. Get some input. They wanted me in there because I was cute. And I'm thinking to myself, so as the executive producer, you didn't think to say, no, I'm not going to bring her in for that, man. So the defense is just not there. You're not, you don't feel safe, especially as a young woman. No. And my final straw was like, oh, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize, why do you stay so long? Because you're thinking, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You kind of like minimize it. Mm. And the last straw for me was when I got offered an opportunity to work for them. But it ended up being, oh, this is a test. Mind you, I had interned for them two years prior. So for what, how many weeks I'm going to work coming from Long Island, that's $40 a day to not get paid because I'm being tested. I never went back. So for me, I was like, I'm done. Him, he took less than a year and realized, yeah, I'm not doing this. What was your last strong moment when you realized that you wanted to pivot into mental health? Yeah, so I think it was shortly after that HR meeting where I was like, they're Mm. totally dismissing me and I'm kind of on my own here. And also most of my friends left, like Chris left and I I was still there. And Mm. I had like a few other like really close best friends there. So that's one thing I made. I made amazing friends there. So I did have some amazing experiences in that way where we all like started together and went through this together. But um, I had a few other friends who also were just fed up and left. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was there probably two years and um, yeah. Once I was seeing that and then I started looking at like what I can do instead. I had kind of like a quarter life crisis of (laughs) what can I do if not this? And I started looking at school programs for becoming a therapist. And I was like, you know what? This sounds like it feels like it aligns. So I saw what those opportunities were and then I left. Yes. And I was so happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I think for me, like. It was also the competitiveness, too, Mm -hmm. was ingrained in the work. They wanted you to be competitive with each other. Like the whole thing with mailroom and reception, we were all competing Mm -hmm. to be promoted to be assistant. Like that TV show. Yeah, exactly. And so it was just like there was an inherent distrust Mm -hmm. among everyone because it's like you said, there was this paranoia that like, what are you doing for that agent that I'm not doing? Like, what are are you doing that looks better than what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Um, And then we would all everyone would be trying to like suck up to HR because they were the ones who yes. would make the recommendations at the time. So just the whole environment was so bad. Like, and I'm, I'm not inherently a very competitive person. And I think the music industry in general is quite competitive. Never got to as bad as it was at that agency. But I felt that at the mm-hmm. label and stuff too. There right. was always kind of like, a, I want to make it to the top and you're in my way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not and, competitive and, either. Actually, yeah, yeah. And, and that's both. And unfortunately, that's their 
both behind the scenes and yeah. for talent as well. Like people compete on the charts, people compete for placements, people compete for awards. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, it's yeah. just inherent in the industry, which is really it's weird. Bad. And no one's thought, hey, I went through this as a younger person. Why would I want to start and do this to more people and have like this whole like <laughs> what like. Mm dynasty or like with descendants of stress descendants of competitiveness like, i just don't get it like why keep fostering the environment i mean it's hard to kind of work from the work in and then pull it out but like when you're at a top position why would you want to have that environment even if you catch a wind of it you know nip it in the bud but it doesn't really happen as often like i said i was in a small company and they were like it was because you're cute mm. okay Right. Adults, it's like normalized. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. normalized and it and and it's exactly what you're saying. Like the people at the top were not saying anything or doing anything. And some of them just kind of came in at the top, like if they were doing other mm-hmm. jobs that maybe they were way up in and then they were hired at the top as agents. But but a lot of them did go through the system too. Yeah. And it was kind of like a badge of honor. Like I went through this, I went through the hazing. Right. So you have to go through it too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I just want to note oh. for anyone listening to this, we also made no money. Oh, my God. It was not a livable <laughs> oh, yeah. salary. And no. for those that don't and know, like, yeah. And then when you get promoted to assistant, you make even less, less money. money. <laughs> it was just like when I look back at that and I talk to people about their starting salaries, I was like, how did we survive? <laughs> like, I, I cannot believe. No. It was different. Yeah. The whole entertainment industry. It's it's so bad because people still see it as such a glamorous job yeah. that that there's right. so much like people can replace you in a second. Oh my god, yeah. And so they don't need to pay you that much because they can just find someone that will want to do it for that tiny amount of money. So just FYI Amazing. for all those people listening, yeah, it is not glamorous, and you also make no money until you make it to the top. So. Oh my god, yes, no money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> domestically, internationally speaking, yeah, none whatsoever. Right. Wait. All my friends were struggling. I was lucky where I lived. Well, I lived with my parents at the time, but I did not want to be living with my family forever. But I was right. lucky in that that way that I had that. But all my other friends, I was like, how the hell are you? Like, how are you mm-hmm. paying for an apartment in New York City? <laughs> hang on. Hello. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> we just talking about yeah. that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So now that you are on the outside looking in on the music industry, yeah. and now that you can kind of observe both kind of people who work in it behind the scenes and kind of the big pop stars that are there right now, what do you think are some yeah. of the common concerns that arise for artists and, and other creators? Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> I think eating disorders is a big one, especially like in the performer side of things. Um, <clears throat> also, you know, in both sides, I guess, in, in a lot of ways, because um, eating disorders, I think well, if that's misunderstood a lot, but eating disorders really comes from from trauma. But then there's also just such um, a focus on what you look like and during beauty standards in this industry that mm-hmm. can you know, lead to that. Um, Substance use, addictions, um, depression, anxiety, suicide, um, sexual trauma, domestic violence, or abusive relationships. Um, I think all of those are really the the main things. Mm -hmm. Uh, With that being said, what do you think are some main factors in the current culture that contribute to these factors and these concerns? Yeah, so... <clears throat> in the culture, especially as talent, but then as I saw also on the business side of things, mm-hmm. um, you're dehumanized a lot. So it's, you know, the talent is looked at as uh, when you're professional talent in the industry, you're looked at as a commodity to make people money and to entertain and please people. It's not really about who you are as a human being. Um, I saw that also just on the business side too. It wasn't like these human values and how we connect with each other and empathize and, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. That That's just a race. It's about like, can you get the deal done? Let's get this deal done. And I think with talent, 
it just brings a lot of um, trouble in their, they don't learn to tune into their deeper selves. They don't learn to tune into their deeper needs, emotions. It becomes about what they can do for others. Um, Like, are you making others enough money? Are you making people happy with the talent and your entertainment value? Are you worthy enough of the fame and attention Mm -hmm. um, that you're getting? Are you appreciative enough of the fame, money, and attention? Um, So it's like always like, are you enough? Are you good enough? Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't learn what's beneath that and what your true needs are very easily. Um, And I think with that, there's there's a push, there's a pressure to push through your true needs a lot of the time just to get the job done. So like if you're feeling sick or under the weather, doesn't matter because like hundreds and thousands of people came to see your show so like you have to get out there and you Mm -hmm. have to just do it yeah the show must go on you know so um that saying in show business the show must go on Mm -hmm. and it's true like you have to kind of suppress yourself a lot to just do the job yeah for sure um you know, just speaking on that, just as an artist myself, it took me a while to get out of it because I went from dancing in the background. So it was like, hey, we got another dancer. There's a swing for that one. You know, even in the musical world, there are understudies. There are swings. There are some. There is someone that will take your spot if you can't be there. You don't want to like not be there. But like when you're the main person or even if you're in a group, it's kind of like if you're that person who has been maintaining the the face of the group or if you're a solo artist, there is no... Well, guys, we got another Juliet. We got another Chris. We got another Shan. Like, it's just, where are you? Why didn't you show up? And uh, I mean, even with me, I kind of on a like a very like minor level, I had like imposter syndrome because I was like, oh, my God, I can't write a song that was as good as my first one. Like you get wrapped up in that because it's just like, well, what if I don't do something as good? Then it's not going to be as important. And I'm not worth the like you said, I'm not worthy of the recognition I've received thus far. It took me a minute to get like that because I think it's tough when you're dealing with something that is so subjectively um, reflect, uh, reviewed, right? Like I can do whatever I want and put the music out, but people, are, if they don't like it, I'm not making money. If they do like it, I'm making money. And I think a lot of artists don't realize how to make that disconnect. Like you have to do something that satisfies you. And if it's good and you're doing your best work and you put it out there, people will find it. Mm-hmm. Right. But a lot of us get right. in this loop of like, oh, my God, I have to do it for the people. I, I mean, I've heard some crazy stuff. I heard trash cans getting banged on and they have an audience. Right. But a lot of singers don't think like, oh, my gosh, if, as long as I'm doing what I want to do, people will find it. Like you can't control what other people think about you, but you can control what you put out. And that's what it took me a little bit longer than I wanted it to to figure that out. But once I did, I felt so much peace. I mean, the whole like I don't have like any any type of ED or anything like that. But even as a dancer, you have to fit to the costume. Like you get measured in the springtime. By the time Mm -hmm. the summer show is out, you better fit into it. I mean, even when you're doing dance shows, if you can't fit the shoe, you don't get the job. So you better. I'm dancing size seven shoes. I'm a size 10. Right. But I wanted the yeah. job. I was like, oh, I don't want to just like not dance. Like we can't re- we can't stop the shoot because I'm not the star. I'm a background dancer. I don't want to lose the gig. We just paid for the space. So there's a lot of hands in the pot. And you're like, oh, my God, I have to. Everyone's hands are out. Mm-hmm. Not even in the pot. Everyone's hand is out. <laughs> you're like, oh, OK, here's a piece of me and another piece and then another piece. And then you forget, like, you got to find your inner piece before you give out pieces of your anything to anyone else. Like I said, it took me a little minute to get there. But a lot of artists, even like as they get older, they never learned it. So they stay in it and they fall victim to substance abuse or their traumas and they don't actually get the help that they need, um, especially with the artists that we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think also in general, what do you think of like social media and kind of just the general well, pressure yeah, that, of, of social um, society right now? Because I think now normal people, normal people in quotes, how also get an idea of this kind of social pressure because mm-hmm. we're there's so much more visibility on how interesting your life is yeah. and how you look every single day yeah. and and kind of the need to present yourself to the world so what do you kind of think of that aspect mm-hmm. of, of current culture yeah totally everything you just said and there's the like there's the standards on there of like are you showing showing enough content or Mm -hmm. like I think there's pressure with talent you have to be engaging with your audience on there and then you know Shan what you were saying with like the just are you good enough are things going to be good enough in putting it out there am I going to have enough likes or followers like that all translates to social media too um 
instead of just being like, I'm feeling this right now, I want to share it, you know, instead of being like internally, like, I feel good with this, I want to share it. It's all like, again, this external validation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's cancel culture too, where it's like, you're not, there's no room for you to be a human. Yeah. And yes, there are some like outrageous things out there that people are going to decide like not to follow and, and, mm-hmm. or to follow and kind of make a stand with that with social media, where I think there's some positive stuff in that way. But then some of it is like, yeah, there's no room for you to just be a human and to develop and make mistakes. So I especially think like child stars going through it right now, um, you know, with their social media, they have more people commenting, more people looking at them, Mm -hmm. um, more room for scrutiny and rejection in that way. Yeah. I think that that clout chasing is is, is another drug that is not Mm -hmm. really you know, you can't really medically call it a drug, but it's one of those things you get that adrenaline, you get that, mm-hmm. you know, yes. you're super excited. It's like, oh my God, yes, instant grat. Yeah. And then, the, and then the accessibility uh-huh. is also scary because at least I think back then when we were kids, we, we put these pop stars on a pedestal and that obviously that has some issues on its own. But now yeah. because they're accessible, mm-hmm. then you get all these crazy trolls. In parasocial relationships. And, and some in parasocial relationship. But then, yeah, it's just like you, you can say all this stuff anonymously yeah and there's no gatekeeper there's yeah. no gatekeeper to be like no you can't talk to the right. artist no you can't you can't leave this comment on blue ivy mm-hmm. hair you cannot do this because it's there and then people will talk about it and then more people will talk about why it's being said and why you can't say it and it just turns into this whole like what's the word for it echo chamber of just like don't say that no sir say it. the celebrities are people they have no right to privacy they have no right to mental health because like yeah. I said, they're, they're a like, commodity. oh, well, you're yeah. putting it out there or you're out there for the world to comment on you. So you just got to take it. Yeah, kind of that's thing. weird to me. It's a little weird. Yeah. I think it's a little unfair. People are braver behind a computer and behind us, you know, like mm-hmm. typing things oh, out yeah, there than sure. they would say to you in person. So, you know, there's definitely more abuse going on on the Internet. I mean, when we look at the industry as a whole throughout time, there are instances where mental health challenges have resulted in ridicule and dehumanization from the general public, as we mentioned. Um, And in more extreme cases, some artists have even lost their lives. So as society has become more informed about mental health, more steps are being taken to treat and heal. But the industry, both for the artists and those behind the scenes, still has much work to do. And the general public, we can lump that in there, too. I feel like everyone... All right, so let's transition to the next part of the episode. We've we've chosen a couple specific cases to discuss kind of bigger artists that right. have gone through very publicly um, struggles in their mental health. Um, so we're going to start with the princess of pop, or one of the princesses of pop, yes. <laughs> Britney Spears. Yes. So she was at the forefront of the teen pop craze that started in the late 90s. And with her great fame, Britney encountered a relentless barrage of criticism from body image to relationships to which she responded amicably. And after releasing four groundbreaking and hugely successful albums, Britney injured herself while on tour, forcing her to take a step back and eventually leading to her marriage, the birth of her kids, and being surrounded by people who didn't have her best interests at heart. So after being placed in a 13-year conservatorship by her family, Brittany is now free and very publicly speaking about her experiences on social media. So, Juliet, we went to Vegas, actually, to see yeah. Brittany. Lucky. Um, oh, yeah, and that was amazing. It was, it was an adventure, <laughs> for sure. Um, but it's, it makes me really sad thinking back. Um, sometimes, you know, hearing now that she's publicly speaking about the residency and how unhappy she was at the time, it's crazy. She did it for so long. Um, but you know, both of us have been fans of Britney since we were children. So as a fan of hers and now as, as a mental health professional, what are some of your thoughts on her situation as a whole? Oh, totally. You know, I was, I was the biggest fan. I think her album was the <clears throat> when I was younger, it was the second CD I ever owned. Mm. Um, Spice Girls was the first. <laughs> why we're friends. <laughs> yes. And then it was Britney. So I, I like Spice. worshipped Britney. I loved yeah. her album. I remember like sitting in my room listening to that first album, just like in love with with every part of it. And I put her on a pedestal. You mm. know, just what you were saying before. We like idolized mm-hmm. these people. And she could do no wrong. She was like the perfect, picture perfect, yeah. girl next door. You know, everyone wanted to be her. Everyone to look like her. 
Um, I grew up like really, <clears throat> really looking at that, wanting to be her. And then I was a dancer to, and her dancing, you know, more so, even though, you know, I loved music and, and I love her singing voice too. I know there's a lot of criticism that people say about that too, but you know, I'm a fan all around of Britney, but her dancing, especially, I always wanted to dance like Britney. Mm -hmm. um, so I like look back now and I'm like, wow, there was so much more to the story that mm -hmm. you just didn't know. Like, I thought I like kind of knew her in a sense, but then there was so much more going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about, and especially with the Vegas residency at that point, you know, all the stories that come up, come out about like how controlled she was and certain things just felt so much like a punishment around her mm. with her mental health. Um, it was really sad to hear about. <clears throat> and one thing I'll say, so like with conservatorships, so I, I've had clients on conservatorships, like I'm familiar with conservatorships. And I think that in some cases, um, it could be warranted. In some cases, it could be really great. Basically, it's meant to, to be there for someone when they're unable to take care of themselves mm -hmm. or if they're a danger to themselves or others in some way. Mm -hmm. um, however, this definition is vague and there hasn't been enough reform or like oversight in the conservatorship world to really see when it goes too far and when it's taking advantage of people. So conservatorship abuse is actually more common than we think. Um, so Brittany coming out about this and this whole whole thing about her conservatorship and her trying to get out of it, it kind of put it to the forefront where hopefully that can lead to some reform and some change. Uh, there's a lot of disability rights activists, activists that have been trying to make reform and change around this for a while. Um, <clears throat> so her story kind of brought this forward and more people are listening to this. Her going through this, and I think we don't know the whole story don't know what happened at the time that really led to this. We don't know her diagnoses or like what mental health things specifically she was going through. Mm. So it could very well be that at that time, her family thought that they were doing the best thing for her and mm -hmm. trying to protect her, especially if she had people kind of, you know, in the spotlight, you're being taken advantage a lot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they were, they maybe stepped in, in that kind of way. However, from what we've seen, like in the documentaries and like everything that's been out there, it seems like, you know, something happened in 2007 that kind of led her to act out in some way or like um, there was some behavior that was looked at as like mm -hmm. not in character for her. And it was looked at as like erratic and manic. And, you know, there are all kinds of labels going on about that. Um, and I... Part of me thinks it could have been just kind of from all these years of pressures and control and paparazzi after her that she, you know, she just let loose, you know, and she, it was like trauma and kind of having a response in that way. And then there's another side too, because like there has been some talk about her being diagnosed with bipolar disorder and some other things where that stuff can come out in mania, like, mm, you know, yeah. with, with bipolar disorder, there's some you know, you could be more impulsive, you know, have impaired decision-making, that kind of stuff. But what I was really upset about from all the documentaries and all that is, you know, from what I know, as much as all the other viewers out there, um, it doesn't seem like there was a moment of, okay, let's get you help. Let's get you support. Let's see how you do. Yeah. You know, there wasn't like this compassion, empathy, understanding. It was just like, oh boy, she's, she's unhinged. She's off, mm -hmm. you know, off the edge there with her behavior. We got to get her, like, we got to control this. We got to buckle down and make this better. She's going to lose her, all her fans. She's, you know, she needs to go back to her image. We got to, you know, mm -hmm. we got to go back to this. So it was kind of like control as a punishment. And then she went through all this like mandated treatment that felt more punishment than for, mm. than people actually there to help her succeed and help her feel better and work through whatever she was going through. Um, so yeah, that's, those are all my initial thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, if your cash cow is not producing what she needs to, you're doing anything to kind of make her do it. And that's what, again, goes back to what you were saying. You're a product and people didn't see. I mean, like back in the day, she got a lot of just verbal 
abuse in a sense. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the press and the public were, were mean to her completely. from the beginning. Like with right. Baby One More Time in that schoolgirl outfit, mm -hmm. there was already oh slut God, shaming yeah. going on. Right. You know, she was 16. Yeah. Right. Like, right. yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, what do you think of, of press now? Obviously, the paparazzi isn't as invasive now. It still can get a little crazy, but there yeah. are more laws and, and everything with that. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Because for her, I think it was that pressure from the press and kind mm -hmm. of all the negative stuff mm -hmm. that was being said about her. And then she also has the family that is depending on mm -hmm. her mm -hmm. to be this press. Right. So yeah. yeah, what do you think of just the, those two different types of pressure as well? Yeah, well, I think also at that time, like I'm just thinking, because she grew up, like she was a child star, starting mm -hmm. out also in the Disney world, yes. like Mickey Mouse Club, and then went to her, she started her, her first album, she was 16. So. Yeah. I think she was over-sexualized at a young age and, mm -hmm. you know, there were pressures. She was like looked at as an adult, looked at mm -hmm. older than she was. She was, but she was only 16. So there were a lot of pressures, I think, out there for her to like fit in a, in a box that just didn't really go with her development, like her true needs mm -hmm. and development in that way. Um, and like, and then I saw like, we, she went through different stages where she was like, you know, there was the overprotected song and like oh, yeah. all, those, all yeah. those songs about being overprotected where she's like I'm gonna come out and mm -hmm. I'm gonna show my sexuality with pride like instead yeah. of other people kind of placing that on her and mm -hmm. um, but it still had to be controlled in a sense it still had to like fit a narrative fit a box of her you know image her brand image her public image um, and then the stuff with the family I think also the fact that she started all this fame and success when she was 16, that like mm. creates all these unnatural power dy dy dynamics and responsibility dynamics in the household mm -hmm. where it's normally your 16 year old is not the one making all the money for your family. Right. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of responsibility to put on a kid. For sure. For sure. I was uh, before we started this, like we were talking about a lot of things like, you know, survivor's remorse or something like that in a sense where it's just like, well, I made oh, it out. Yeah. I got to take care of my family because even I kind of do that because I. You know, talking about like Brittany in the Catholic school. I've seen a bunch of Catholic school girls roll up the skirt, tie their shirt. We've all done it. Um, I was a goody goody, so I never did it. And I wore pants. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like just growing up watching her, I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. It's amazing. And my mom was like, but she's such a baby. There's so many young child stars like Aliyah, Brandy, Monica. Like, we're, yes. you know, for like a lot of the R&B community, we saw them at 15. They were recording their albums 13, 14, experiencing whatever they were experiencing, right? Yeah. And it's, then it's just like, well, but if I stop, I mom can't eat. Dad can't eat. And like this remorse starts to kind of develop. Like even I, I'm like, oh my God, my parents pay for my dancing education and blah, blah, blah. blah. It's, it's very hard to separate yourself from that, you know? But that also goes back to what you were saying about the family dynamic being healthy. My parents are supportive. They're like, don't don't give it back. That's weird. Don't do that. But a lot of child actors, I mean, Gary Coleman, I mean, you can talk about all the child actors from like the 70s even. They had to get emancipated just to be like, listen, my parent is a piece of crap. Um, mm -hmm. I need to like separate myself. And then they end up with nothing and they have to start from scratch. With Britney, she had all that money and they were like, oh, we got you, babe. We got you. And they just kept getting like digging their claws deeper. And it just it just stinks. Do you think that maybe with some of it was like survivor's remorse or or maybe it was just like, hey, I've already latched into the situation. It's it's working. Leave it like that. Yeah. And then she was getting so much praise for it. You know, again, mm. it like goes back to that external validation instead of her learning to check in with like, like, I wonder if her family was like, Brittany, how are you doing? Like, right. how are you feeling about this? Are you enjoying this? Are you not? Like, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of chickens. It's just the assumption of like, oh, you're getting to sing and dance and that makes you mm -hmm. happy and you're, you're everyone loves you. Um, so yeah, yeah. I wonder, I wonder what she went through with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely she came from a small town in Louisiana where yeah. they didn't really have much. Um, so this was a big deal, big deal for her family. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of another Disney, former Disney child actor, uh, we're going to jump right into Demi Lovato. After her big break in Camp Rock on the Disney channel, she, they quickly rose to fame as one of the most powerhouse vocalist of the early of the late excuse me 2000s and through the 2010s the starlet struggled with an eating disorder and self-harm and eventually began taking substances from alcohol and hard drugs and throughout her usage demi would still perform and even claim sobriety and in documentaries demi would also mention that her team would control her food consumption 
And throughout these years, though, Demi was extremely unhappy and relapsed unbeknownst to others. And eventually in 2018, she overdosed. Uh, I think it's very publicized at this point. Um, and although her physical health has taken permanent damage, her mental health is on the mend and she has continued to be vocal about her experiences. So unlike Brittany, she's starting to come out a little bit more like, hey, this happened. She has all these documentaries on YouTube. Even her most recent album has 29, where she's talking about how her former romance with Wilmer Valderrama was a little bit more nefarious in nature than she had actually noticed. I mean, uh, I think a lot of Disney stars are talking about the seediness of their experiences. I think she even mentioned getting um, essayed at one point while she was, you know, still acting. Um, and like Britney, she started as an entertainer very early in her life and went through the Disney pipeline. So what do you think of kids starting so early and how does it affect their mental health as they get older? Because for me, I've heard like once you've made it at a certain age, like it's like a, like a almost like a wives tale. You've made it at a certain age. You stop at that age. You kind of like mentally. Oh, oh yeah. You know, like, hey, I'm, you've made it at like 12 or something. Yeah, you'll go grow up. But like there's certain things you don't learn, certain things you don't really like. Well, I don't have to be. I'm an adult now, like Justin Bieber made it when he was like 12. He kind of struggled with being kind of childlike. Michael made it at what, eight and never let go of his childlike tendencies, right? So what do you think about that as a whole with child stars? Yeah, so <clears throat> what we kind of already talked about with Britney is, you know, a lot of them are put in that, um, that position to hold a lot of responsibility at, a young age. So a lot of them are supporting their families and, you know, kind of are the breadwinners in the family in that way, which we talked about. Um, and then just being like, you know, on set or in the studio, um, they're working. So this mm -hmm. is instead of just being at school and being kind of um, a learner and someone who takes in information and kind of goes through that process, they're there, you know, expected to do a job just like adults. So that is, you know, they're treated like adults in those situations. I even, you know, I, I'm just thinking back also, because even though I wasn't like a child star, I, I was a child performer, you know, and, and I grew up in New York where I would go to Broadway auditions and I, you know, I did a lot kind of in New York City and I would miss school sometimes for performance opportunities. And, and I, I wanted to be a Disney star. I wanted to be on there, <laughs> but I just remember like, in my rehearsals, even with my directors that were, you know, just local directors, mm -hmm. um, they talked to us like adults. They treated us like adults. And some of it was really harsh and really, you know, not acceptable to mm -hmm. be talking to a child in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, and they made comments on your body. They made comments on so many things that like body image is a learned thing. Mm -hmm. So you learn to have a relationship with yourself, your self-esteem and body image. You learn with time how to have a relationship with yourself and with your body. So when you're in these, these environments where they're talking to you about like the whole package of needing to work on things for yourself and talking to you as if you're an adult and you're just going to take it and mm -hmm. uh, be, you know, like take it. Yeah. Just take that note and, and work on it. And you know, come back mm -hmm. the next day showing that you've worked on it, right. um, just like in a job. It's really, it's really hard on a youngster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mel C from the Spice Girls, she just released her autobiography and she got into that as well. She was also a dancer um, as a child mm -hmm. and she got into, she also got into kind of the whole aspect of she was, she didn't know that she had to really look at her legs and analyze how skinny they were and, and an older man mm -hmm. telling her that her thighs were big mm -hmm. that was a lifelong impact and that ended up snowballing into years of, of issues for her um so yeah mm -hmm. it's really quite sad yeah. kind of how the industry yes so young treating kids that way yeah um without any yeah. real realization of how it can affect not at all you. Or yeah like supplying them with proper resources like for me like when i teach dance i'm like okay listen you, i guys i'm like hold your port it doesn't mean you're not no it doesn't mean you're not exercising it means just internally like make sure you're like solid i like i clarify what i mean you don't need abs to hold your gore just hold it tighten it right I, you can make it very clear and a lot of studios don't do that i've been fortunate enough not to have that crazy system but um, I mean, even going back to Demi, like she had to be like this kind of skinny rocker chick and she's not built for that. She's a Mexican-American young woman. Yeah. They, them, you know what I'm saying? She's got curves. She, as the older she got, like 
she got curvier and then her waist started fluctuating. And then, of course, with the usage of drugs and substances, it was up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And then like the self-harm and stuff like that. She was just never right. And then I think she even had uh, bulimia, right? If I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. it was messing with her vocal cords. So it turns into this thing where it's like it's not just your body. It's affecting your craft. It's affecting what you do as a performer, which goes back into, oh, my gosh, I have to feed people. It's like this constant like mm-hmm. battle, uphill battle. Like mm-hmm. for sure. real. Yeah. 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 It's mm-hmm. so, it's crazy. And then even Trying with her. keep up. Oh, yeah, exactly. You're always just like, yeah. oh my God, but this is stressing me out. I'm not going to eat all what I need to eat. But if I don't eat, oh, but if I eat, I'll get, it's just so much. It's the weirdest thing, but we just can't get out of it sometimes. And yeah. um, even with her drug use, she has had issues stopping. Like, you know, somebody have an eating disorder, like though, like Janet has mentioned when she was stressed, she didn't talk about it. She's a very quiet person. She would eat. With Demi, when I'm stressed, when I'm feeling like X, Y, and Z, I would self-harm. And the self-harm developed into mm-hmm. drugs and then harder drugs. Um, I think mm-hmm. she had mentioned, I think, in an interview for her YouTube series that she wasn't, she didn't want to get so She wasn't ready for it. And that's huge. That's key. You have to want it. Everyone around you can be like, hey, listen, eat this salad. You know, it's good for you. And she's like, I don't, I don't want it don't want it so it feels more like you're being force-fed things and like you can't eat that don't have too much of that you can't don't do that so it's just like what can i control oh i can control this Mm. this the substance i can have that you know so it's so crazy what do you think about her statement her saying i wasn't ready to get sober yeah so right what you said you were like i need something to control and i think just with thing one comment back with the child star stuff well, children, young adults, they're very impressionable, very vulnerable to um, influence around them. And if they're seeing, if no one is teaching them how to regulate their emotions or how to check in with themselves, like we were saying, like how to do that internal check rather than just looking at the external validation and the pressures that they're just trying to keep up with. If no one's teaching that, then they're going to turn to things to try to keep up with the pressures and try to like regulate what's going in going on inside them. Like if they're dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression, if they're dealing with just, you know, so much stress and pressure, that's where addictions, um, substance use, eating disorders, that's where that really comes in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when people are then in the recovery process telling you, you just need to stop and just saying like, it's bad you're doing this and they try to take it away from you. then you're left with like, what do I turn to, to cope with? What do I turn to um, to help me through this, like that was like, in a way, those things help them survive. Those things help them through. So we have to recognize that. And then we can't control their process even further in the recovery. Mm-hmm. So Demi Lovato, you know, she talks about, and uh, she, they, they, I, I think they go by they pronoun, they, them, and she, her now. So I'll, I'll go between, um, <laughs> them. I don't want to misgender. Um, so they went through, um, you know, with their eating disorder, I'll say their man, they've spoke very um, freely about this. They've spoken out about this recently, that their management was very controlling about the uh, eating disorder recovery. And this was not an eating disorder recovery, especially you have to learn to have a good relationship with food in your body again. So it's kind of counterintuitive to just be like, you're only allowed to eat that. Again, it's like external stuff coming in instead of you learning that internal process for your body. Mm-hmm. So she felt, again, very controlled by her management with that, which just leads to relapse and leads to her, uh, to her not being ready. Yes. So Demi was not ready because they were still holding on to something that they can control and they can, you know, that no one was going to like micromanage and be on top of them for. And same with the substances. Um, there's different, there's actually different ways of recovery in mm. in addiction and substance use recovery. It's not only the 12 step, like go to AA meetings and get completely sober. There's actually another side of harm reduction where it's really meeting, uh, meeting the client where when I'm working with a client, it's meeting the client where they're at, making goals where their substance use is going to be safer or we're going to take kind of steps for them in where they're at with that. Um, you know, because depending on different things, Going like cold turkey to complete abstinence, that's that's really hard. So I think Demi had to figure this out. At first, they were kind of forced in that direction. Mm. And then they've allowed themselves since the overdose, since the relapse, 
to, you know, look back and say, okay, what, what do I actually need? And I've worked with therapists around that. So they went into this California sober zone. They have a song called California sober. And that's about this harm reduction approach where they were off certain drugs, but other, other ones they're learning to use in moderation, like, like marijuana and alcohol, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of just taking steps to where, where they're ready. But then I think now they're they're back to being completely sober. So they had to complete, they had to go through that own, yeah. their own process for that. Yeah. And the next and last case on um, on our episode today is is an international artist by the name of Jung Yun. Um, just to kind of just preface this really quickly, he is someone who has unfortunately did he did reach out for help and didn't receive the kind of help necessary for his situation. Um, so as a member of a five-piece K-pop boy band, Shiny, known for impressive vocals and intricate choreography, Jung Yun was its lead vocalist and found huge success as a solo artist and a songwriter. And during his time with the group, he received accolades for his artistic control and involvement in creative process, which is very rare in K-pop. And as an influential young man in the pop industry, he was encouraged, like many others, to keep his personal life in opinion, separate and private. But even so, Jungin would sometimes show subtle signs of support for challenging the status quo and depict his inner thoughts through his lyrics. And though there were brief moments of vulnerability and even discreet mentions of feeling pressure and sadness through his lyrics, Jungin never explicitly expressed the severity of his depression. And in 2017, after releasing five group albums and two solo releases, essentially being on top of the world, uh, Jungin did end his own life. And his death shook the industry, but it did open the eyes of many to the silent struggles that idols face, especially in that region of the world. And since then, the conversation around mental health has become more welcome with newer K-pop artists readily expressing the need for a mental health break. And um, we will link the letter to um, the letter. We'll, we'll link. We'll leave a link to the letter in a description box if this letter does help people because it was something that I read as an artist myself and I was like oh my god oh my gosh I felt this I felt it on such a just tell me I did good right so from reading Jung Yun's letter it seemed that he was accused by the mental health professionals as not having serious enough issues so he's minimalized essentially um, and he has stated that the life of fame was not meant for him which is interesting considering how talented he was mm-hmm. and how talent how much work he had done um, what do you think about this whole situation yeah um i don't know much about like where he got his mental health treatment and you know what really went on there um but i would say just you know as a therapist um i i would say that having suicidal thoughts is very common it's more common than we think it doesn't mean that everyone with suicidal thoughts it's going to lead to suicide because i think you know, there's certain steps in between that that leads to actually following through with that um, progression there. But it's more common than we think to have the thought. Mm. Um, so I deal with it all the time with clients. And I think, you know, as a therapist, you are trained around this. You are trained to normalize this and to really hear um, hear where they're at and try to prevent it from, you know, creating safety plans and and working on things together to prevent it from um, moving into some, you know, them ending up taking their lives and, and acting on it. Um, but you want to make sure it's a safe space that they aren't feeling like it's too much to, to talk about it, that they're having the thoughts that, you know, this can be talked about and it makes a lot of sense given what they're going through. A lot of the time, People are just wanting to escape their pain, their emotional pain, their physical pain, whatever pain that they're in. It's usually something that they're dealing with um, daily or just a large amount of pain and they're not knowing what to do around it, where it gets exhausting to cope with it and exhausting to deal with it, that they just want to escape. They just want to get out of there. It's not so much that they really do want to end their lives. It's sometimes just really wanting to escape that pain. It's so debilitating for them. So having a space for them, even if you're a friend or a family member, you want to have a non-judgmental space for people um, to talk about this and not act relieved if they're like, you know, not act relieved if they're like, no, I'm not thinking about it or Mm. or, "Eh, it's not that serious. Like you want to take it seriously. So it sounds like whoever he did talk about it with were kind of in their own denial or didn't really want to face the reality of that. and. 
um, maybe the mental health provider also was kind of dealing with their own um, stuff around it where it was dismissed or like, okay, good. It's not that serious. Don't that that's good to hear. You know, maybe that stuff was going on. Mm. Um, we don't want to do that. We want to say, okay, well, if it does get serious, I'm here for you. You know, if because people may downplay it and dismiss it at first, mm. too, because they want to test if it's safe to tell you or safe to talk about. Mm. Um, so you want to show them it's safe to talk about. And if this is really what you're ex experiencing, that's OK. And I'm here for you. I'm here to help you through that. Mm -hmm. So from for me, it, it was he was my favorite member of Shiny. And this really hit me yeah. very hard when it happened. Um, and I think it was very unfortunate because in interviews and in some of his songs as well, it was it was very poignant. It, it was very obvious that he was going through yeah. something. Um, and especially, I mean, I think this is the case for all artists, but, and now people with social media, but especially in kind of this idol industry in K-pop, um, the whole idea is that you become this idol. You yeah. become this character. Yeah. Sometimes you're even given the personality, mm -hmm. given the role that you play in the group, yeah. and you can't really share who you are. Like in interviews, you're told, you're you're supposed to play this character, right? Yeah, but essentially, and yeah. and there are clips of old inter older interviews of him where he is kind of like, yeah, like I feel like the full well, of fans even care about the real me yeah. and kind of that yeah. aspect of it. So so what jumped out to you when when reading his letter and, and going through some of the lyrics? Yeah, so I read his letter, and yeah, I was introduced to him by you. I, I'm not very familiar with all the artists in the K-pop world, and and I just have to say he was an amazing vocalist and I think known as one of the best vocalists mm -hmm. out there you know and he was yeah his music was amazing Shiny's music was amazing so I I loved kind of listening through and what I saw with I saw there was an interview that he said you know I thought people don't want to know who I really am mm -hmm. so he was saying like people don't know the real me I don't think people want to know the real me and then I saw with one of his songs um the let me out song uh mm -hmm said someone and this was the english translation but someone noticed me and my struggle i am exhausted from this world mm. help me don't foolishly hold on just let me go um and then yeah. in elevator he says you don't know me so these were just some examples that i picked up on mm. where these are big signs that he really was feeling kind of like maybe like a fraud in in the role mm. that he was supposed to play or that he couldn't really let out who he was. He couldn't really be who he was. I mean, that's why he was saying fame, fame wasn't for me. Mm. It's just so much pressure, so much expectation. And then it also shows that he was exhausted. Like in the letter, he says, I am exhausted. I never learned how to turn this exhausting pain into bliss. So again, like I said, being exhausted from the pain, wanting to escape that, he talks about that a lot in his letter, in his interviews, in, in those songs. Mm -hmm. What is some way that you could, I guess, let someone know that you're there. Aside from the, the things that you mentioned, what else can you say to someone to, to express more empathy in that sense mm -hmm. when they need or even when they don't need it? Just kind of to let them know like, hey, I'm here. How would you do that? Or how would you express that? Yeah. And I just want to like echo what you said that I think, you know, I talked about the people pleasing and like relying on external validation and not building your internal self in that way. However, we also heal and feel, you know, safe in community and in support by other people. So we also do need that. We do need that external validation. We do need that, those people giving people in our life, showing us that love and support and like having that be a community love type of thing mm -hmm. um, to really heal and feel good. So it's not all about like you being on an island, like validating yourself all day long. Right. But, you know, you need like you need both of it. You need mm -hmm. you need to be able to validate yourself. But that comes from also having the right people telling you the really supportive things, too. Mm -hmm. um, oh, ways to show empathy. So I think. Again, I think, we, you know, just saying I am I am there for you and saying, like, you can tell me anything. We can talk about this. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care, you know, how like this is not a burden on me you know you can you can say that when you really uh care for someone and want to hold the space for them but some things i have kind of like a list of things that you can say that are good um empathic statements so you can say i'm so glad you told me tell me more i'm listening you must really be hurting it's okay to be honest i'm here to help 
this sounds really tough. I'm sorry you're dealing with this. I'm humbled that you shared this with me. Do you want to talk about it more? And then I love you no matter what. Those are some statements I yes. recommend. Yeah. As, as a little sensitive baby over here, I like that. <laughs> the last one, yeah. for sure. It felt good, <laughs> right, to hear yeah. it. <laughs> um, do you have any resources that you could uh, let our listeners and viewers know about so just readily have on hand? Yeah, so there is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline where I even tell people, even if you're not like in a place where you think you're going to end your life, but you're so overwhelmed by emotion and no one to talk to, this could be a good lifeline, a good hotline to call available 24-7. You can just kind of talk through everything with a counselor on that line, and then they'll help you with next steps, help you de-escalate from there, um, kind of with a plan going forward. And you can feel heard and feel supported. Um, so it doesn't have to be at that like breaking point. It could be just like all hours of the night and no one else is available. And mm -hmm. yeah, so that um, that's 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. You can call. Um, you can also text. It's 741-741. Uh, That's the number you text. And you can text HEAL, H-E-A-L. Um, I believe that's the, the recent thing to text. But if you text that number, that will be a, a text line. Um, there's also, I'm just thinking about, you know, uh, Jun Young and like, resources also specific to the Asian community. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, it's unfortunate because like, I, I don't think there's so much out there, um, you know, specific to those communities and, mm -hmm. and also clearing to certain language needs in that way. But I did find Asian LifeNet 24-hour hotline where there's Cantonese, Mandarin, Japanese, Korean, uh, Fujianese. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but mm -hmm. um, those languages are offered and it's mm -hmm. also 24-7. Um, and that's 877-990-8585. Um, and then the Asian Mental Health Collective is a website that has a bunch of resources on there. And then I would say Megan the Stallion also has a really good website of resources also for um, Black people, for BIPOC uh, individuals. Uh, there, you know, there's specific resources on there, um, as well as some of the, the main national ones that I, that I mentioned. So, yeah, I recommend her website for sure. So I think we have been saying there are improvements being made in mm -hmm. entertainment yeah. and in society in general. Mm -hmm. um, but let's just kind of manifest a little bit. What would you like to see kind of in the next five to 10 years in terms of just mm -hmm. the growth in, in mental health in society? Yeah. Yeah. In society, I think in this industry in general, mm -hmm. like I think it is on a good trend upwards in you know, that it is being destigmatized. More people are talking about it and more people are coming out about needing help, wanting help different ways. So like, I, I think that needs to continue. I do think that there needs to just be more change from the industry, the mental health industry side of, mm -hmm. well, I think we need more support of just, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, what we were saying before, more money, more resources so that we can help more people. I think there also needs to be like, peer uh peer mental health advocates more of those people trained mm -hmm. instead of having to go through like all the the requirements to become a licensed mental health therapist there's there's other levels of mental health advocates and support that we can mm -hmm. be bringing on and some mm -hmm. places have that some states have that um but yeah more of that for sure uh yeah so i think just continuing to talk about it and and also continuing to help people in your life you know, not being dismissive, like you said, just pray about it. I think religion does hold a really positive place for a lot of people in their healing, but just praying about it instead of also working through it in other ways and getting therapy support. Um, and there's other ways that it could be dismissed. Um, well, there's like a lot of toxic positivity, I'll say, oh, yeah. in the field where it's just like, oh, just keep your chin up. Just, you know, pick mm. yourself up by your bootstraps. Just keep mm -hmm. going. You've got this. When it could be dismissive, and you really just want to hear, like, you don't have to fix someone else's pain, mm. but just being with them through it, that people want to just be heard. They want to be seen in the pain they're going through, know that they're not alone. Um, so more, more about that instead of just like, oh, you got this. Keep moving forward. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. Gosh. Especially in rejection periods, people. All right. Well, thank you so much, Juliet, for such an insightful discussion with yeah. us. Um, you are amazing. I'm so happy and I'm so proud of you as your friend for the past oh. 10 years now. Can you believe it's been that long? Um, oh my God. It's been amazing <laughs> watching you grow and seeing you flourish. And so um, if other people kind of want to get to know you better, follow your socials, give us the deets. Yeah, thank you so much. I've, I've loved being on this and same here. I've been so proud watching you too. <laughs> so thank you. Um, but yeah, I have my therapy website, which is um, jbpsychotherapy.com. So J for Juliet, B for my last name, blank, um, psychotherapy.com. On Instagram, I'm at therapyjules at, um, oh yeah, at therapyjules on Instagram. And then if you want to check out my music too, my artist side, uh, you could find me. Juliet Chloe is like my artist name, but I'm on all the, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, all those platforms, just a few songs that I have out there. But that's like my own therapy. I still write music. I still do that. Um, I put that out there and I encourage others to. Wow. Yes. Of course. Yeah. And Juliet is a great karaoke partner as well. Hi. Next you come, yeah. I think we need to make that happen. <laughs> That'd be so well, nice. Yeah. Give you a big hug if you're into like physical touch. Oh my gosh, she deserves all yeah. the hugs. <laughs> okay. Here, I'm going to hug both of you right now. So for cool hugs. <laughs> and yes, viewers, this is a hug for you. And listeners, this is a hug for you. We're hugging you. Mm-hmm. Mm, hug. <laughs> but let us know your thoughts in the comments below or message us at CCTV Pops on all social media. You can also join us on Patreon because we'd love to hear your thoughts and you can help us decide our next episode topic. So if there's something like this you want us to talk about, we would love to hear your opinions and all the good ideas you have. <laughs> so please give us a like subscribe to our channel and hit that notification bell and for our listeners give us a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice until next time that's chris that's shan and that's juliet and we are cctv